Halo, everybody. This is Sam Blom, and we're back with another episode of Calling All Halos. I am joined once again by my co-host here. He's live from New York City, Connor Grossman. How are you, Connor? Sam, I'm great. Do you ever notice, though, at the start of the podcast, you don't actually say the full name of the podcast? Yes, uh, that's a problem, I think, that I've, you know, I actually did notice that, and I, it keeps me up at night. We are actually called Calling All Halos Brief Pause Anaheim. of Anaheim. <laughs> yeah, you kind of need to whisper it, say it in a little more of a hushed tone. Because if you look at our our art our, our, for this podcast, you'll notice that it's in smaller fonts because, you know, it's just like just like the angels. It's a, it's a little tossing at the end of their name. Obviously, that's kind of defunct part of their name now. But, you know, you have to honor history. And that's what we do here on Calling All Halos. <clears throat> Every era of Angels baseball is represented in this podcast. Yes, yes, it is. And, you know, we uh, you know, we just we just like to you know give that to the fans. But uh, either way, you know, we appreciate you coming back and listening another episode. Uh, you know, I, I'm supposed to remind myself to do this at the beginning of every episode. So please go like and subscribe, you know, wherever you listen to this podcast, whether it's on Spotify, Apple, whatever, you know, please like, subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us a review, however you think we're doing, you know, let us know. We appreciate it. And I'll remind you guys again at the end of the episode. And today we're actually going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be talking about the moves that the Angels have made, you know, obviously, uh, Today's Friday, and so yesterday the team called up Sam Bachman from Double A. A little bit of a surprise move, I thought. Um, we, you know, and if you go to theathletic.com and read my article about this yesterday, I mean, you can kind of piece together why they made this move and why it isn't as crazy as it might seem on paper. But you know, it's still. I mean, this is just the way the Angels operate. Uh, they've called up Zach Neno. They called up Sam Bachman. They've DFA'd players that they're paying quite a bit of money to. This is how they operate. You know, they're aggressive in a lot of ways, not just at the very top of the organization, but even in who they put, you know, at various minor league affiliates. And um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, we, we kind of want to discuss, is this a, you know, a smart strategy? Is this a long-term way to operate? Um, you know, is this something that's going to help the Angels right now? Uh, I think these are all really important questions. We're going to get into it. Um, Connor, I mean, what, what's, what's, what was your thoughts on, on you know, the, the move yesterday, calling up a, uh, a a young pitcher who's drafted number ninth overall in 2021? He had had 20 walks and 26 innings at the double-A level. I mean, what, what's kind of your thoughts on that decision? I mean, I know we'll kind of dive into, you know, what's really behind those numbers in the minor leagues as they're tinkering and experimenting with all sorts of different changes to the ball and the way the game is played and honestly where the Angels affiliates play. But – um. I think as a fan of any team, specifically in baseball, like I, like I just get fired up when a team kind of makes the decision to just call on one of their young guys, kind of, you know, like we drafted this guy, we developed this guy because there's such a long waiting period in baseball from the time that a player is drafted to when you actually see them on the big stage. It's not like football. It's not like basketball. So honestly, like as a fan, Growing up, following the Giants, as all of our loyal listeners know, like anytime a major league player or anytime a player, a prospect reaches the big leagues, like I think it's a time of excitement. And from a team perspective, obviously you want to be making that decision from a position of strength, not only strength of your major league team. The Angels are playing pretty well right now. So they check that box, but also a position of strength for the individual player that they're calling up which is kind of where this story deviates from maybe ideally what you'd want. But, um, you know, I'm generally in favor of teams being aggressive in making their minor league call-ups. That's kind of the era that we are in right now in baseball. Players are better than ever at younger ages, and they're progressing faster and developing quicker. 
And uh, as you noted, it just seems like, you know, the new normal for the Angels is just being aggressive with their transactions, whether it's adding to the roster or subtracting. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I was thinking if you're a, if you're a player kind of heading into the draft this year, I mean, are you not praying you get picked by the Angels? You'll be up here by like August. <laughs> it's just i mean it's the way that they operate and, and I, listen i think that there is a part of this there are a lot of elements to why they operate like this one i think this is just you know this is perry kind of taking from the alex anthopolis mindset the molds they've done this i mean if you look what the braves do this is not like you know I, I think maybe the angels are a little bit more aggressive and i think that's probably because they're a little bit more desperate in certain ways and you know have certain needs and obviously the the braves are are you know have been established as kind of a you know, a juggernaut and, and right. You talk about operating from a position of strength. That is the Atlanta Braves. Yeah. And that's the way they, I mean, I think that's obviously if you're, if you're looking at Perry and you're looking at their front office, they're probably trying to emulate that to some extent. And there are, you know, there are elements of other front offices and I've seen people compare, obviously you look at Tim McIlvain and as the head of scouting for the, you know, for the, uh, for the angels, he was obviously with the Brewers for a while. And people have kind of pointed out, well, you look at Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns and, you know, how, how they brought up certain those guys as relievers who have now turned into really good starters. And you look at a guy like Chase Silseth and now Sam Bachman, both as relievers, but have been drafted as starters. And I still think they're looked at long-term as starters. And so there's, there's that comparison. Um, and Chase Silseth is, is another one of those players that, you know, he was the first player uh, drafted in 2021 to make his major league debut. And that was more than a year ago now. And, you know, he was an 11th rounder. Obviously there was some he was paid, you know, well above slot for the 11th round, but still it's, you know, they're very aggressive. If they think that you're ready, it doesn't matter if you were drafted in the first round, the 20th round, if you were a uh, free agent, weren't drafted at all, you know, they're just going to, they're going to move you up. Um, was that 2021 draft? Or was that the uh, famous all pitchers draft oh, class? All, all pitchers draft class. And, you know, I think a lot of those guys that were have done pretty well, except for now, a lot of them who are, in, they're still in double A, they're just like, watching their numbers absolutely implode at the, the with these new baseballs i mean and sam bachman kind of going off that he is a victim of this of what i believe is you know an absolutely awful experiment in double a um they're Can you believe they're playing with tennis balls <laughs> yeah i couldn't but what i saw his era was 13.5 i was like what are they <laughs> no no i mean his era is more than the mid fives and it's just the walks i mean if you look at his hits per inning I mean, he's got like 15 hits and 26 innings. It's 20 walks and four hit by pitches. I mean, that is indicative of somebody who cannot control the baseball. And, you know, he's not someone who's had, I mean, he's had walk issues, but it's never been this bad. Uh, and it's never been this pronounced. Um, and it's an issue. Uh, I think, you know, players that throw the ball hard, in particular, I've heard, are having trouble with, with that baseball. And then you go and you're like, well, why don't you just call him up to double to AAA instead of the major leagues? Well, I don't think Angels like having their pitching prospects in AAA either because of the altitude there, and it, and it impacts your off-speed pitches, and obviously, you know, you might just get hit harder there, and it's just, it's, you're not going to develop. I mean, the whole point is development, and I don't think that they can assess development that well at, at any of these levels. And so it's, yeah, that's just a problem for them. Um, once those balls go back to being normal in July, I think everyone will be at more, will be at peace. Uh, but the Angels call up almost everyone from, from AA, you know, certain players can you color in a little more context um, for those that may not know about what difference there is in the baseball and double A? You know, it's it's interesting. I talked to Major League Baseball about this, but I wrote a story about it last month, and I hope you go, chance, go get a chance to check it out, where, you know, several players were complaining about this. We asked Major League Baseball, and, you know, they, they wouldn't tell us what was in it. Um, you know, what I was told by, if you look at that article, you'll see there's a player who kind of describes it as like, 
it's like thick rosin type feeling i mean it's it's the know, idea that it's like a baseball that's got more like stickiness to it so players don't have to use substances right so you get a better grip is really what it is supposedly you get a better grip these are regular baseballs that are being manufactured then shipped to a separate third-party facility where they are basically coated in this substance and made to be you know whatever the ball is and then they're shipped to the facilities the major the minor league facilities and so the, the teams are not in charge of applying this or making this you know um this ball actually functional and you know uh, the players are just saying well they, their balls are inconsistent they're hard to grip if you haven't used sticky stuff in the past you know in particular it's probably mm-hmm. more difficult to grip so there's just a lot of issues with it and i think you'll see you're seeing players who have typically been very very good at controlling the baseball eric torres someone who i thought could get a major league call up this year has just been pitching poorly there because i don't think he can control the ball um and so it's just I, there's a lot of great irony in the fact that a grippier ball is harder for pitchers to control yeah, I just think if you're not, I mean, listen, I, I bet you if they use this for a year, you'd probably get used to it. But it's, is that the real thing you want? If those players then get called up and right, a different ball, it, to me, it's wild. And this is being used in double A. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, I know the minor leaguers just uh, are in the process of unionizing, but like they're pretty much defenseless against whatever, you know, Major League Baseball headquarters wants to impose on the minor leagues where the pitch clock was tested, where these new baseballs are tested. Like, on one hand, it makes sense to use the minor leagues as a laboratory for different ideas to make the major league product better. On the other hand, these are players who are trying to like, you know, baseball is their livelihood and they're not really making a living in the minor leagues because it's all in a hope and a dream to make it to the big leagues where, you know, they're getting paid many multiples of what they are in the minor leagues. So uh, it's kind of kind of a raw deal, but yeah. I guess that's nothing new there. It stinks for the prospects, and I also think it stinks for those guys that you just mentioned who are like, you know, I mean, there are players in Double A who are probably getting their last chance this year, and now they're doing yeah. it under these suspect circumstances. So it's a problem, and, you know, obviously I think it's, it's even more of an issue for the Angels who don't necessarily feel comfortable calling a lot of players up, prospects up to AAA. And so that leads us back to Bachman, who's, I think they basically just determined that, well, the Angels have a need now, we have a need now at, at in the bullpen. You know, his is not necessarily developing as we need him to develop as a starter in double A don't mm-hmm. really want to call him up to triple A. We kind of, you know, don't really have any other good options here other than to just see what, see what happens. And, you know, there are some upsides and downsides to all of this, but you know, his, his velocity. I mean, if you look at Sam Bachman in general, his back issues last year, horrible velocity issues where he was losing almost 10 miles an hour on his fastball at the wow. end of the season. So it's back, you know, up to the mid nineties. Now, I don't think he's fully back, but to what he was when he was drafted but you know this is a guy who you know can can probably succeed in this role i'll be very curious to see how it plays out be very curious to see how it plays out but it um to me i mean this is <clears throat> this is the way the angels have to operate it's you know they they want to compete this year everybody it's all hands on deck i mean and i think that is mm-hmm. how they're they're looking at it and i agree with that i really do i agree with you're in a desperate year i mean this is a, we've talked about this a desperate situation if ryan to is going to come in and allow two home runs in one inning and and completely lose a game for you after he's already kind of looked suspect and been heard. And, you know, just generally, you know, I think he's kind of a tough guy, like, all right, we'll move on. We're not going to sit around here and give him more chances. Uh, I'd be curious to see how this plays out with Aaron loop. Who's consistently been giving up runs every time he, he comes in the game. I do not know how many more chances he'll have. I think he's been mildly unlucky, but you know, at the end of the day, if you're getting unlucky every time, then maybe there's something that's kind of at fault here that, isn't worth kind of sticking around. So we'll, we will see how that plays out. 
How do you think they're going to use Bachman? Do they, you think they see him as kind of a bridge to the late inning guys? Could you see him coming into like a, a six inning, seventh inning type of situation where maybe it's a two or three run deficit or lead? Uh, I th- I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of gets a bit of a soft landing. And that's yeah. that would be partially because we just don't. I mean, listen, I think that a lot of these moves have worked so far. Zach Neto has been great. I mean, the fact that you called this guy up after being drafted last year, that was a humongous risk. Yeah. And you, you just don't know. I think you can project certain things, but I don't think you could say, how is this guy going to handle Major League Baseball? You know, given that 10 months ago, he was playing for the Campbell Camels in the Big South. <laughs> you know, how is he going to handle going to Fenway Park at his Major League debut? Yeah. He's done great. He has done great. Now, does that mean it's going to work the next time? Does mm-hmm. you know, cutting Justin Upton last year, he didn't really do anything after that. Cutting Albert Pujols. That didn't play. I mean, listen, he, uh, that might have been the best thing for Walsh and for the team. But, you know, when we look back two years ago, he ended up having a really stellar finish to his major league career. So, you know, there are ups and downs. There are these decisions that sometimes will play really well, sometimes not play out really well. Just because Zach Nando has worked does not mean that Sam Bachman will work. We will see. Um, you know, it's but yeah, to answer your question, I do think that they'll probably give him a bit of a soft landing. That's just my guess. Uh, and, and then, you know, if he, he yeah. shows what he can do. Why not you put him in like a sixth, seventh inning role? You know, Chase Silseth, we talked about him. Another guy, very aggressive call-up. His call-up was, I think, a mixed bag in the sense where, well, you know, he he just had a couple of good outings. He showed that he had the potential to pitch really well at the major league level, but then, mm-hmm. you know, couldn't really sustain it in any way beyond like three innings. And so, yeah, there's right. ups and downs to it. And, I, you know, I think you're taking a big risk. And I don't think many teams would do this, but the Angels, you know, they, they need to fill the bullpen out. And they need to win this year. And so they're going to take this risk. And and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but you have to be prepared for it to fail. Yeah, completely agree. And I'm kind of curious, wondering if this, you know, uber aggressive mindset in promotions from minor leagues will manifest itself at all as the trade deadline approaches. I mean, I know the Angels farm system is not among the game's best, so they really wouldn't be, you know, Perry wouldn't be dealing prospects from a position of strength but i'm wondering if you know i guess it's really this uh, mindset of desperation if that's really what could manifest as the trade deadline approaches and it's like not only will we be aggressive in promoting prospects but also dealing them if we think you know there's the right guy out there to improve the major league team yeah i mean and they you know last year they traded brandon marsh for logan ohapi which was again yeah. like, very aggressive like okay you know i mean this is brandon marsh who's now having a really good season but you know logan hoppy looks like a rookie of the year candidate before he got hurt um and so yeah i mean that i have a feeling that if some of these guys produce now at the major league level i mean we'll be it'll be curious to see if the angels feel comfortable dealing somebody but i mean if i if i had to guess a lot of what they're going to be looking for at the deadline is competent relief pitchers if they're in yeah. and if they're willing to buy i mean you know they're 28 and 23 as we sit here today they're a game out of a playoff spot, I believe. Um, and I think four games out of the division. So they're not, you know, they're in a position where if it were to be the trade deadline tomorrow, I think they'd be adding. But, um, you know, we will see. We will see how it plays out. They had a tough part of their schedule. They just kind of went through and and they came out on top of it. Uh, you know, we had talked mm-hmm. before on this podcast about how they really struggled against good teams. And they just, you know, won five and one against two teams that were above 500. And, you know, two and two on the road in Baltimore before that. So, a lot of good baseball being played right now. And I think that they're looking at this roster and saying, you know, what can we do to kind of make this a finished product? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I, again, 
credit to the front office for being aggressive and doing whatever they can to augment it because uh why wait there's no reason to wait um did anything materially change from your viewpoint with the roster i mean we've been talking about the roster changing but really in terms of like performance that kind of you know unlocked this little bit of a hot stretch they're on yeah um yeah, I mean, I think the defense, I mean, we talked about the defense and, and yeah. it's not, you're not, I mean, these things add up, right? Like if you have an error, gets you an honor and run, or you have an error that just gets you an extra out in an inning or two outs in an inning, that's going to add itself up. And then what ends up happening, and this has been talked about, you you have an extra out, then what ends up happening? The pitcher throws 10 more pitches. Then the starter comes out after five innings. And then mm-hmm. your bullpen is getting overtaxed. And then your bullpen, because it's overtaxed, is going to allow a run in the ninth. And that's right. what big happened. domino effect. Yeah. And it's a huge domino effect. And that ha- just continued to happen. And so what you're seeing now is a little bit cleaner baseball. I think you're seeing the result of that. The starting pitcher is going a little deeper in the game. Your bullpen gets a day off here or there. They're not over pitched. They're not overtaxed. And now they have this day off today. And then everyone they're going to come into today with everybody fresh and a new arm. I bet you it's uh your your old buddy Reyes Maranta, if I had to guess, that was sent out. <laughs> he's the uh the weak link in the bullpen the last two times he's come out. So or the only two times he's come out. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's um, to me, it's that's kind of the difference with this team right now. They're just playing cleaner baseball. And when you play clean baseball, it has a huge effect on the rest of the roster. And, you know, yeah. go through ups and downs. You know, we'll see what happens t- tonight. Go to Miami. I mean, they're, they're, they got their best pitchers going this weekend with, with Detmers, Otani, and Sandoval against the Marlins team that I think, you know, is very beatable. So, um, could be a could be a kind of a big series for them. I was gonna say, is it too soon to look ahead to the four game series against the Astros at the start of June? Is that yeah, that's gonna be a big. Is, is there some important June baseball being played there? I know big games in June. Who would have ever thought? Like <laughs> that's more than a little bit of an oxymoron, right there. Yeah, but you know, it's, today is May twenty sixth. With May twenty sixth of last year was um day two of the fourteen game losing streak um oh my gosh was it really it, it kind of fit perfectly and i know that the schedule doesn't line up exactly the same way because the season started you know a week or so later because of the lockout last year and so the records are not the same but you know they had 27 wins on may 24th i think last year and then they had 27 wins on may 24th this year last year it took them two weeks to get that 25th or 28th win rather and um mm-hmm. you know they got it they got it right away today uh this time so you know, maybe that's the curse kind of being lifted to some extent. Yeah, I looked it up just because you were mentioning it. And on May 26, exactly a year ago, the Angels were 27 and 19. And I imagine if we had this podcast a year ago, we'd be having a conversation of similar vibe as this one that, hey, things are kind of looking up. Like, is this is this real? And it's amazing you know, you're reminded when you think back of a year ago, they were in this position, how long the baseball season is, because obviously fans were not ending the 2022 season thinking back on, you know, what a great team that uh, last Angels ball club was. So, I mean, I guess all of that is to say there's still a lot of story to write. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, that's it's kind of well said. I mean, it's just you. I think sometimes you lose perspective. I mean, this time last year, where were the Phillies? They were like seven games below 500. Um, they were three games below 500, seven and a half back of the Mets in the division. Oh, good times. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think it actually got a couple, it got a little worse, if I'm not mistaken. It, like if you fast- Yeah, I think it did. Yeah. yeah. So they, you know, it, it got worse and then they fired Joe Girardi and 
you know, it's just, it's so, there's just so much that goes into a season. And I think that's why you have to kind of take the wins in stride and you have to take the losses in stride at times. Uh, and you know, that's, you know, every game they lose, I, I God, I see so many tweets from you guys. Everyone's lo- losing their minds. And every time they win, it feels like the, the world is okay. It's a great place. You know, there are puppies and rainbows and sunshine <laughs> or people are, or people are still mad at Aaron loop. It's one or the other. Um, <laughs> You know, and it's just, you got to just take it day by day. I mean, I think that there are big picture things you can see over trend lines over a course of a couple of weeks, but mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the fact of the matter is how do you play over 162? You know, you have to kind of see what things you think are sustainable, what things you think are, are legitimate issues. You know, you looked at that defense and I thought, you know, this defense could actually be a bad thing over the course of a long period of time. Cause we'd seen it over the course of six weeks where it was really kind of playing out quite poorly and, and, you know, the, the question is, could they clean it up? And then if you can clean it up, there are a lot of, there are a lot of, there's a runway there to have a really successful year. And, you know, what we've seen over the last week is the potential start of that runway, I think, but uh, there's still so much to be played and, you know, who knows what will happen this weekend or who knows what will happen mm-hmm. over the next month or two months. And then, you know, the big question is what happens if you get to the trade deadline and you're like two or three games out and, and how do you handle Otani? Mm-hmm. And we should, do oh, whole, yeah. we'll do a whole podcast on that. Many, yeah. many podcasts. Yeah. But also, if there are two or three games out at the trade deadline, there's no chance of doing anything with Otani. No chance. Come on. Yeah. And, and as we'll talk about in these future, various future podcasts, what do you just hold Pat? Do you add? I mean, how do you handle this? Because, uh, you know, not like if you, I think most major league franchises would say, well, we have to think about our future. I don't think the Angels have ever really thought, what about our future? They're always thinking about, what about our present? And, and that has been to their detriment many times. Um, so really- I will say, I'm sorry, I'm looking ahead at the Angels July schedule and I see it is honestly the July schedule is going to I mean, every team's July schedule is going to inform the trade deadline. But like they are playing many games against many good teams, including the Padres, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Yankees, the Swinging Pirates, who will probably not be that great in July, but you never know um, the Blue Jays and then the Braves. They're playing so many good teams in July that like. It's going whatever they do. It seemingly feels like it's going to come down to the very deadline. And you know, Halo fans, you can blame Connor for why I won't be at that Halo's Dodgers series because we'll be celebrating his nuptials. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry to pull you away from uh, the freeway series. Yes. Yeah. No, you should be. Can't. I mean, you should have looked at the schedule. You should have known. But alas, right, we're... missing the All Star break by literally one day. Yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah. It's, no. no, you're right. It's a good point. I mean, this is they could go into that month of being like, we're gonna add, you know, everybody. We're gonna right. we're gonna get another Otani. Right. And then who knows what happens when you play all those teams, you know. But the, the other thing about that is they go a whole month without leave, leaving the leaving Southern California for uh, from June 25th to July 25th. So, you know, there's oh some gosh. there's some you know they'll be close to home, so maybe that'll help. There's a lot of ups and downs there. I, but I agree that schedule is really tough, and. um and I don't necessarily know how it's going to play out, but that just goes to show you. I mean, we're still a month away from even thinking about that. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I would agree. Generally, seems like things are looking up. Curious to see how they do against uh, a Marlins team that's been weirdly good in one-run games. I don't know if you've been following that. That's the ultimate, like, does it mean anything uh, stat or nugget? But uh, Marlins play good in close games. The White Sox seem like a lost dog looking for their owner. And then, uh, yeah, that leads up to that Astros series. You know, let's we're gonna do our bonus session here. We didn't really plan this out, but I kind of yeah. want 
I want to get your thoughts on kind of the rest of the league. Which team has been the biggest surprise and which team has kind of been the biggest disappointment from your perspective? And you're having to think of this on the fly. And I don't have any answers yet either. No, but like, I think keeping it close to home for the Angels, like, is the biggest surprise not the Texas Rangers being 13 games over 500? Like, you know, as someone who greatly appreciated the managerial expertise of Bruce Bochy, it's like, okay, but how many wins does a manager reasonably add to a roster? Like, I don't know top to bottom how different this Rangers roster is. I mean, I know they signed Jacob deGrom. Like, I know the roster is generally better, and they added a great manager in Bruce Bochy, but, like, things still have to happen beyond just writing them down on paper. And as of now, all good things seem to be happening with the Rangers, which is not necessarily good news for the angels. Cause the Astros are still pretty good. Maybe they're not as good as they've been in the, over the last, you know, many years, but the Rangers definitely have to be through my eyes, at least the best, most positive surprise in baseball. Um, but the pirates not far behind, but the pirates have been floundering for a couple of weeks now. Yes. And what about your biggest disappointments? Uh, biggest disappointment. Um, I'm not writing off the Cardinals fully yet. I mean, they hit rock bottom really quick with a lot of time and schedule left to kind of claw their way out of it. And really, they already have um, from where it was. This is an unusual take for biggest disappointment, but like, how is it not the Oakland A's who were supposed to be bad and yet are impossibly worse than I feel like anyone could have imagined? They have 10 wins. 10. 10 and 42. 10, 10 and 40. They are 32 games and under you to, 500. You have to understand, I mean, their run differential is minus 184, which is, I mean, if you look at the rest of the league, I don't think anybody, that's more than 100. The next lowest is under is minus 73. Yeah, and that's the so worst. They are more than double the worst run differential. In I baseball. Mean, yeah, their ERA is like seven, I think, or something. I mean, it's just abs. I mean, of course, they two of those wins are against the, are the halos here. Um, yeah. <laughs> is that true? Forty yes. percent, or sorry, well, that's, uh, uh, you're, this is 20, Connor yeah, math playing sorry. out. I've not yeah. known this about Connor's counting. Not a math major, not a math major. <laughs> um, but twenty percent, twenty percent of the A's yeah. wins have come against the Angels. Yeah, uh, it's I. I there are a lot of candidates for biggest disappointment. Um, you have the Padres, who you know I think everyone thought were going to be really great, and now they're. Four games below 500, 23 and 27, and seven and a half out of a division race behind the Dodgers. I think you obviously mentioned the Cardinals. The Phillies have been really bad, 23 and 27. They're supposed to be good. Um, You know, the Mariners are on a bit of a stretch right now. They've won four in a row, but they were, you know, they're kind of underperforming a lot. Um, The White Sox, the team I thought could have won the division, and they're still, I mean, they're, they're six games out, so it's not like things are terrible for them, but they're 10 games below 500. Um, Guardians maybe. also being seven under 500. I feel like they're just one of those teams that like the roster never like wows you on opening day, but then you blink at the trade deadline and they're 15 over looking to add. You know, they kind of remind me of like the that little run of good Royals teams where you know they're just mm. they play different, uh, 2014 and 2015 where they play so much yeah. different and and I and it worked and you know it was like small ball, you know, taking the extra base. Um, you know, not hitting a lot of home runs, but just being efficient, good defensively, and almost like, like a vintage style of baseball. Very vintage, and and then the the question is, does that does that sustain itself? If if things, you know, if like the new rules impact you in some ways, or things that you don't right. necessarily pick up on, 
And, and I'm not saying that's what's happening with the new rules, but I do think it's possible that, you know, just you know, a guy like Andres Jimenez, who was like fifth in all MVP voting. And then, you know, mm-hmm. is that going to, maybe the shift be- has completely reduced his effectiveness or, yeah. well, I guess that probably wouldn't happen if they're not shifting anymore, but who knows? Just yeah. weirdness. You're right. The rule changes could adversely affect teams like that. Yeah, and or just or just like you know, just a slight lull in in productivity. You know, does that you know does does that make you still a, a contender for to win the division? So the they're, I mean they're still right there. The Twins are first place with two games above 500. So it's not like you know they're gonna run away with it. I don't think. But it's a it's interesting. But the team I would go with as the biggest disappointment because it was the team of the offseason, I thought, and everyone you know kind of picked them to to be you know this dominant super team of the Mets because they they. Hmm. They signed, you know, Justin Verlander. They were going to sign Carlos Correa. They had all these, like, you know, they had, they spent so much money. I mean, Kodai Sang, right. 75 million into him. It's just, they spent so much. And I, and I, and I didn't think their roster was going to be that much better than it was last year, even though they won 101 games last year. I mean, it's, you don't really need to be that much better, but it's just, it doesn't really feel like that they're, uh, they're a good team right now. And they're using a lot of their younger players and, um it hasn't necessarily all clicked together for them they did just win five in a row before losing two of three in chicago so you know we'll see what happens with the mets but right now i mean the fact that they're not really in contention in serious contention i don't know if i i don't know if i buy the mets as the biggest disappointment it's sure if you're just looking at payroll they are by far the biggest disappointment yeah, but well, like I, mean, I think that's what i'm looking at i mean i'm not saying payroll should translate to wins but i think that if you look at the narrative and the mindset of what people thought the mets would be after this offseason when steve cohen was kind of hailed the king of new york and you know just all these things that were going to kind of play out for them i mean the fact that they're their run differentials minus 12 they're still a game above 500 but they don't look like a good team to me yeah, no, I mean, they don't look like a team that's going to repeat what they did last year. I think they won 100 games last year, maybe more than that. Um, but I also feel like, again, if you like hit the payroll figures, which again, just for the purpose of this exercise you're doing, and you just looked at the players on the roster, like you would never guess if you showed someone who didn't know that this was the most expensive team in Major League history. Like there's good players on that team, but there's not, they are not the 27 Yankees with a lineup of Hall of Famers and a rotation filled with them too. Like, no. They're a roster with like a lot of good players, but not necessarily like, you know, not nearly as stacked as like the Braves roster. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's, you know, I think that you can win an offseason and then you could lose them. I mean, and then you can realize right. that the Braves have been they have maybe one off seasons, but they have, you know, slowly just continuously signed, you know, developed young players and signed them to mm-hmm. long term deals and put themselves in a position to be what they were like in the 90s when they just continuously won division title after division title you know so it's that is the way that the Braves kind of look to me and and I don't think the Mets have put themselves in that same position that being said they have a lot of good young players that could maybe help them down the line and even possibly this year it's a long season as we kind of talked about but um transitioning would you, oh. uh, would you mind if we did a bonus bonus little short segment one thing I wanted to touch on earlier that you... my, my biggest surprise first oh oh sorry because yeah. I've been thinking about this as we've been talking and there are several different teams that I think could kind of get this, which the Diamondbacks right there at nine at eight games above 500. I mean, they've been, they've kind of been like the, we talked about the Braves. I mean, they've been quietly developing good young players now for a while and look what happens. They're, they're in contention in that division. The Pirates are the team I'll probably go with though overall, just because nobody projects the Pirates to be any good. And here we are after, I guess they played 49 games and they're a game above 500. I realize that they have, you know, kind of faltered recently, but to be this deep into the season and in contention, that has to, I mean, that's just a miracle to some extent and, and credit to the pirates and 
um, you know, credit to their staff because that's uh, that's impressive for them to, to be in that position. Um, the only other one I would go with, uh, it's been a surprise just to give a shout out to them in the Orioles at 33 and 17 and a really tough division. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they kind of they've just rebuilt so quickly. And Brandon Hyde, I you know, would have said after 21, that guy needed to be the you know, that needs to be the beginning, middle and end of his tenure there. And, and you know, they've stuck with him and look what happened. So it worked out. And, and um, you know, there's just uh, there's a couple of teams this is in that same way. I mean, this is a really interesting year in baseball overall, where there are our team and the Tigers two games out of first. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of teams that are are, you know, are overperforming. And then there are some teams that are really underperforming. And it's just an interesting season. Yeah, I think it is. I feel like last time we podcasted, we called out that uh, there were a remarkable amount of teams that were you know, around 500 plus or minus three games. And we've definitely seen a little bit of separation, but it's only kind of underscored those surprises, both good and bad that we're seeing now in the standings. So baseball always entertaining this year, especially so. What is your bonus, bonus, bonus? I think we'll have to save it for the next podcast. That'll be an extended tease. Uh, Okay, well, if that didn't intrigue you, I don't know what will. But thank you everybody for listening today. And again, I'll remind you to please like our podcast, you know, on on any whatever app you're listening and on listening to it on we we see the comments we appreciate them we read them and then share them with all our friends and and we're like hey look at how look at how popular we are so keep feeding that ego when you get a chance and uh thanks for listening and we'll see you again soon Bye.